Hey, good morning, church. Awesome to be uh, here with you guys. You guys sounded great, by the way. Uh, that was awesome worship. Why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles and open them to John 21. John 21 is where we're gonna be this morning. And while you're turning there, uh, I wanna introduce myself. As I've met a lot of you, but not uh, all of you. My name is Jordan. I'm the high school pastor here. My family and I moved here a couple months ago. Um, and it really is an honor to be here with you guys. Um, this is my wife uh, up on screen, Rachel, and son, Theo, and daughter, Isla. Um, and, and honestly, for the high schoolers and high school families, um, we are super pumped for this fall, trusting that God's gonna do an awesome work in and through uh, our high schoolers. And so be praying for us, be praying for them. Uh, and, and we're trusting that, again, God's gonna do awesome things this year. Do you guys believe that? High school families, you guys believe that? Good, awesome. Well, <laughs> go. we'll get there, okay? We'll get there. Um, and, and so though we're new on staff, uh, we've actually, I've been here and coming here since 2011 uh, with my family back when I was a junior uh, in high school. Um, and, and not, we took a little bit of a break. So if you're like, I've never seen this guy, where'd he come from? Uh, we took a little bit of a break, but, but here in high school ministry, uh, the Lord did an awesome work in, in my life. And my life was radically changed by the word uh, through worship, uh, by faithful guys like Dave and Cal and Chris. And, and honestly, uh, I wanted to do uh, the same in my life. And so in 2015, after I graduated uh, high school, my wife and I attended Moody Bible Institute in Chicago, where we leaned into the calling that the Lord had uh, on our life. And then about a year after that, the uh, Lord called us out to Fresno, California, where we were serving there with some amazing people. And, and honestly, now family uh, to us for about four years years, which brings us to today. That, that's great. The, the past is awesome. Uh, I, I love to get to share my testimony with you guys a little bit more. But today, what I love about our church is that this is not all about me. That, that this is about the king we serve, Jesus Christ. And so that's the series we've been in all summer it is the king is in the room. We're even looking at how Jesus draws near to specific people at specific times for his specific purposes. And so today we're gonna to be looking at John 21, but if you're looking at John 21 verse one, it starts with after this. And so if it's okay with you, we gotta do a little bit of background work, okay? Uh, so just bear with me. Uh, in John 20, Jesus is resurrected from the grave. Right, And so he begins this, this series of appearing to specific people. He appears to Mary uh, and she thinks that he's a gardener and he calls her by name and she runs to him and she goes and tells disciples, I've seen the Lord. And then after that, Jesus draws near to the disciples who are hiding behind locked doors and he came and stood among them saying, peace be with you. At a time where they needed him the most, Jesus shows up. And then eight days later, right, Jesus shows up to uh, Thomas and tells him, feel my hands, right? See my scars, feel my sides. And Thomas says, my Lord and my God. And it's at this moment in John 20 where John the author pulls everything back and gives us this beautiful purpose statement in John 20 verse 30. It says, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is Christ, the son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. 
Do you see how John pulls back? He's not talking about disciples anymore. He's not talking about Mary. He's talking to you and I this morning. And he's asking the question, do you know the king in the room? Do you have a relationship with Jesus? And that's the big idea this morning. Uh, it's very simple. It's this, a relationship with Jesus is deeply personal. A relationship with Jesus is deeply personal. Like, like many people in this room, I, I grew up in a Christian home and, and I'm incredibly grateful for that. There were times where I thought my testimony was a little boring, you know, cause I didn't like do anything illegal in the process. Like Jesus met me at a really young age and I'm incredibly grateful for that. There are no boring testimonies by the way, right? And so I'm praying for that for my kids, that God would meet them at a young, uh, early age and that they would faithfully walk with him and have the, the boring testimony. Um, but, but as a follower, there were definitely times where I felt closer to God, right? Where, where I feel like, like I knew that I knew that I knew that Jesus was right here with me. And actually there were times, this room is really sweet to me because my mom and I would clean in this room, uh, like in between services and during the weekdays, meaning I would just hang out and listen to music and she would clean. Um, but, but this is such a sweet place for me because God time and time and time again met me in this room through the word in worship. And this is a place where I feel really near to him. Same with Camp Harvest. This is a, uh, there's a picture up on the screen of our students that went to Camp Harvest about a month ago. Um, and, and it's a place where God constantly draws near and does amazing works. And not only in my life, but in many of, of the students or, or former students or, or leader, like Camp Harvest is a big place. But God can choose where he shows up, right? Like, like you may not have to be here or, or, or at Camp Harvest. You may not even feel that way here, like God's near to you. But we know this to be true, right? Uh, God says uh, that, that uh, he, sorry, let me go back. We know this to be true in our closest relationships, uh, my wife and I, uh, there's a picture up on screen. Uh, we've been married for eight years. Um, and, and my wife is incredible. She's super sweet. She's a great mom to my kids. Um, she's an awesome, awesome person. We celebrated eight year anniversary a couple weeks ago in the best way possible, getting Jimmy John's and going to Lowe's, right? So we do just eight years in, it's just, it's just that. I, I'll tell you, uh, my wife is incredible, but there are times in, in the eight years we've been married that there's been great uh, hardship and difficulty and great blessing. Blessing due mostly to her, hardship mostly credited to me. But there's times where we feel so close in proximity to the closest person in our life, but so distant relationally, right? How, how does that happen? And, and you may feel like that in your relationship with God today. Like, like so close uh, in proximity to, to the things of God, small group or, or, or here in worship. And you might be going through all, those are awesome things. But at the end of the day, you might relationally feel distant from him. And that's what I wanna answer this morning. 
How can I have a, a deep personal relationship? How do you and I close that gap so that we feel and know and believe that he is with us and close to us? And here's the awesome thing that John 21 shows us it is it's not uh, really about your and mine ability to draw near to him, but more about Christ's sufficiency in our lives. More about how he draws near. And so if you're taking notes, here are five ways Jesus personally pursues us. He pursues you and me. So remember, big capstone statement in John 20, that you would believe, that that you may have life in his name. And then verse one, look with me there, it says this. John 21, verse one, after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee and two others of his disciples were together. Now Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we're gonna go with you. And so they went out and got in the boat, but that night they caught nothing. You see, this was not like a fishing trip vacation for them, as a lot of us take in West Michigan, right? This isn't a vacation. This was hard work. And not only was this hard work type of fishing, this was all night type of fishing. It was tiring. It was exhausting. It was wet. It was cold. As the night went on, things got more difficult. And to make matters worse, what was the occupation of Peter, James, and John? That they were fishers, right? Before they got called into following Jesus, they were fishers. So as professional fishers all night, how do you think their night was going when they caught no fish? Probably not great, right? Terrible at worst and embarrassing at best. Because if, you, uh, if you're like me, after 15 minutes of fishing and, and, and no nibbles or catching anything, honestly, I'm either leaving or I'm changing my whole approach of how I fish that evening, right? Like I'm changing lines, I'm changing my lure things. I, I don't know. I, I wanna ask, do you think the disciples were there? Tired, frustrated, wet, cold for sure. And, and these are physical things, but what do you think that they were at? Where do you think they were at emotionally? Maybe confused, maybe hopeful Jesus would show up in their lives again. You got to remember their savior was just hung on a cross. Just a chapter ago, we find them hiding in their homes behind locked doors out of fear of their life. Here's the first way Jesus personally pursues us, you and me. Number one, he provides help in my frustration. He provides help in my frustration. Verse four says, just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore and yet the disciples did not know it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, do you not have any fish? And they answered him, no. So three things uh, happen here. I call it the perfect storm. You know, it's worse than not catching any fish. It's when someone then asks you, have you caught any fish? And if you're like me, I'm just way too prideful to just say no. I have to start listing off all the things that I got snagged on, right? So like rocks and trees, I just won't settle with the answer no. But to make things worse, 
Um, the, Jesus in this sentence in Greek, it would be asked more uh, like this. So you haven't caught anything yet. See how he's just like asking them. He's just like probing. Jesus knew they had caught no fish. And then this random guy on the shore has the audacity to tell professionals how to do their job. He says, why don't you try over there in that spot? And on top of all of this, he addresses them, not as, hey, men, or hey, friends, or hey, brothers. He says, hey, children. At that point, I would have been out of there, paddling somewhere else. But for whatever reason, they trust Jesus, this random guy on shore. And look what happens in verse six. Jesus says to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. And so when they casted it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. So did Jesus come through for them? Did Jesus provide? The answer is yes, right? And the follow-up question is, doesn't he always provide? I know that to be true in my life. It may not feel that way in the moment, but at the end of the day, Jesus always provides what we need. He always provides what the, what the disciples needed. And so I wanna ask you, where are you at today? I know a lot of you guys have started school back up if you're a student and uh, your summer has ended. If you're like me, you, you blinked and, and now it's over, right? Were there expectations that you thought you would have had that would have been accomplished? Or maybe everything at this moment is going great. And that's awesome. That's a gift from the Lord, right? Don't need to feel bad about that. Either way, here are the disciples. They're tired, they're frustrated, they're wet, they're cold, they're without fish. And here's a reminder to no matter where you're at, no matter how you're walking into this fall, God knows where you're at. Jesus sees you, either in the joy or in the struggle. He knows where you're at. You're not alone. It's a reminder, Jesus will always come through. He always provides. And what he does next for the disciples is exactly what he does to us. He draws near to us. Look at me at verse seven. Verse seven says, that disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it's the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and he threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. Here's the second way Jesus personally pursues us. Number two, he doesn't shy away from my issues. He doesn't shy away from my issues. Now I wanna point out, John immediately knows, uh, like the, the moment the net tightens, John is thinking, this is Jesus. He's here, he's with us, right? He thinks back to when he's done this already. And without hesitation, as John says this to Peter, Peter is in the water, he's gone. He's just swimming. He turned the Michael Phelps, everyone else is in his bubbles. He is out of there and he's swimming to Jesus. I don't know why Jesus, or, or sorry, why Peter was fishing without his outer garment. Maybe it was restricting, but it definitely didn't help him swim faster, right? So, so why, why is this important to note? One thing we do know, and what I love about Peter is it showed he had no intention of going back to the boat. Like his, set, his sights were set on Christ. Christ was enough. And so he jumps out and pursues him. Jesus draws near. 
Look at me at verse nine. It says this, and when they got out onto the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. And so Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And though there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus says to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? For they knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came and took bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish. Now, this was the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So uh, a couple things here. Not only does Jesus like miraculously, miraculously cause them to catch 153 large fish. Also, when they get to the shore, he has breakfast provided for them already. Like he'd already made breakfast. Isn't Jesus awesome the way he provides? But I think more than just being hungry, Peter had greater issues that needed to be addressed. He had to deal with some bigger things. And it's at this point, the whole story takes a turn because it's not about the fish. It's not about that miracle. It's about Peter's failure. And so Jesus enters into that. If you could imagine Peter standing on the shore, soaking wet, probably freezing cold as he runs up. And the first thing he sees is Jesus leaning over a fire, cooking breakfast. And it's specific. He says a charcoal fire. And this is so awesome because there's only two times in the entire book of John where it mentions this type of fire specifically. It's here in this story. And then do you know where else? It's in John 18. It, during the second time when, when Peter denies Jesus, it, Peter's standing over what John says is a charcoal fire. And so I can only imagine that feeling in the pit of Peter's stomach as he would have been triggered walking up, seeing Jesus hanging over a charcoal fire, making him breakfast. Has this ever happened to you where something that you've seen immediately brings up a time where you experienced failure? Has this ever happened to you? Aiden, our intern this summer, this is Aiden, he's up on the screen. Um, he, he would know a feeling in similar ways. Uh, Aiden was our student ministry intern. He did an incredible job. He was awesome. We already miss him. Um, and, and he is out at Moody right now, uh, studying the word of God. And so be praying for that Moody crew that's over there. But this summer during Vertical Adventure, Aiden helped out with a Defenders crew. Um, and uh, we found out that Aiden doesn't do well with needles which like isn't a huge deal. A lot of us uh, feel that same way about needles. The only problem was that we found this out during a demonstration as, as they were teaching kids what an IV was, right? So they volunteered Aiden, he went up and then the rest is history for us, not him. Don't worry, EMS was conveniently already there, right? So it just worked out. We gave him some snacks and the whole rest of the afternoon off, which is a big deal, right? And then any questions from here on out can go directly to ben at harvestspringlake.org, right? So, so Aiden, like needles, I'm sure in a similar way, Peter's stomach would have tightened as he remembered what had happened at the fire and the events that would follow. It says in John 13, 37, as Peter would deny his teacher and friend and Lord, 
You'd say, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I'll lay down my life for you. And then the follow-up in Luke 22, Peter remembered what the, the saying of the Lord and how he said to him, before the roosters crow today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. So as he runs onto the shore to meet Jesus, don't you think he would have ran back to this moment? How many times he would have replayed the incident in his head over and over again? Well, what if I would have done this? What if I would have remained faithful for Jesus, right? What if I had more faith? Well, what if I could have been more patient? What if then, I don't know if Peter was there, like, like you and me at times, we get stuck in the never-ending treadmill of regret. It, it doesn't say. But what it does say is that when he heard it was the Lord, he jumped into the water and swam toward him. Why would he do that? It's because what issue is too big or too great for the Lord to handle? There isn't one. This is how awesome this picture of the charcoal fire is. Jesus would draw near and meet Peter over the very thing that would remind him of failure in order to redeem that thing so that now and from then on, that thing would remind him of the forgiveness and freedom he would have in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus doesn't shy away from our issues. He enters into them and redeems them. And so I wanna ask you, do you think your issues are too big for God? or that he's too busy for you. You see, the invitation is there uh, to us from Jesus in Matthew 11. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. So if the invitation is there from God and a relationship with God is deeply personal, then what's holding you back? What's holding me back from bringing those issues in faith to God? He delights when we run to him. So much so that Jesus, the faithful friend, pursues us. Here's the third way Jesus personally pursues us. Number three, he forgives the unforgivable. He forgives the unforgivable. Look back at verse 15 with me. It says this, it says, when they uh, had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And then Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. And then he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, tend my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said it to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. It, it's important to note here that, that in Greek, there's three different types of word for words for the same word, love. And each one communicates a different type or, or depth of meaning. Like we love pizza, but I also love pizza, but I love my wife way more than I love pizza, right? Same word, but different meaning, different depth. And so not only does Jesus call Peter by his old name, he calls him Simon. Jesus asks him this question. Simon, do you unconditionally love me? The word is agapao. Do you unconditionally, without reservation, do you love me? 
And it's important to note that Peter's, uh, he changes the verb for love. He doesn't use the same word or, or type of love that Jesus uses. He responds with, Lord, you know I have affection for you. You, you know we're friends. He's basically saying, God, you, you know I like you, but I can't say I love you. Not unconditionally, right? He knew he had failed. He's saying, not like I should have, Lord. Here's the question. Is any one of us able to love Jesus unconditionally without wavering? And so at the third time, this is amazing. Jesus changes Peter's use of the word uh, love. He goes to what Peter is saying. And he says, on the third time, he asks this question. Simon, son of John, do you have any affection for me? Simon, are we friends? It's almost as if Jesus is looking for just the smallest of embers in the fire saying, Peter, where are you at? Where do you, do you have any affection? And, and he's not looking to call it out and being like, look how weak your fire is. He's looking at it to stoke the flame. Church, you can't miss this. This isn't Jesus rubbing Peter's nose in his failure. Everyone knew Peter had failed. That's not the question. Because of Jesus' death on the cross for you and me in our place, we can, come, uh, it, we can come to him with our humanity with just the smallest, smallest, tiny amount of affection for him. And through his faithfulness, through his faithfulness to go to the cross on our behalf and the power of the Holy Spirit, turn our affection into a raging bonfire. The real question here is, did Peter believe that Jesus could forgive him of his greatest failure? How, how do we know? And here's the awesome thing. At the end of the day, Peter got out of the boat. Peter got out of the boat. John was like, it's the Lord. And Peter was gone. He didn't clean himself up. He didn't put together a laundry list of good deeds he had done. He didn't walk up on shore and start arguing with Jesus, telling him that, he put, uh, that Jesus put Peter through way too much for him to love him. He ran up to Jesus. He leaned in and said, Lord, you know everything. All the ways I've failed. All the ways I've talked to talk but couldn't walk to walk. You know it all. I failed my God. I failed my friends. I couldn't keep my word. And at the end of the day, in this situation, Peter walked away fully known by God and fully loved by God. What about you? What about me? What would I have swam? Would I have gotten out of the boat when I heard it was the Lord, knowing I deny him and swam to him? Maybe for me on my best day, when I'm absolutely crushing it and everything is great, I would have swam to Jesus. But on my worst day, I genuinely don't know if I would have done what Peter did. Have you experienced what Paul Tripp says is the uncomfortable grace of Jesus Christ? And if there's never been a time where, where you like Peter or me like Peter had to jump out of the boat and run to the love and mercy of God, then we don't know grace. Because grace is getting something that you don't deserve. And so like times you might be tempted to think before the Lord, well, God, you don't know what I've actually done. You don't know how my week has actually been. This is great for Peter, but God can't do that within my life. Here's the fourth way Jesus personally pursues us. He strengthens my weaknesses. He strengthens my weaknesses. 
See, not only did Jesus intentionally walk Peter into this situation to, to restore a relationship with him, he, he was also confirming his calling. He, he was reconfirming uh, his calling, right? Feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. Uh, Jesus was giving uh, Peter a job to do. He was reminding him of what he originally called him to do, to be a fisher of men. Jesus is reminding Peter of who the true good shepherd is, the one who always comes through, who never fails the faithful friend. And so uh, we can't uh, think that from this moment on, uh, Peter just walks away perfectly and is changed forever, no issues. Paul in Galatians 2 says that he opposed Peter to his face. He calls him out because of how Peter was acting. He was being a hypocrite. We all need friends like that who are able to call us out in love and truth. And I mean this in the most loving way. If you and I think that we can spiritually clean ourselves up before God and before others, that will only lead us to nowhere. Before a holy and perfect God, you and I are messed up because of our sin and failures. I personally will never do enough or be enough to earn God's favor for me. That's not the point though. This is the good news of the gospel that your greatest mistakes, sins, failures were paid through the life, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ on the cross. Amen? Right, that's Romans five. For while we were still weak, not once we fixed our life, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. In verse eight, but God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So I wanna remind you, don't let your weaknesses get in the way of your relationship with Jesus. He knows, he invites that. Your weakness, my weakness is part of the plan. Paul gives a great picture in 2 Corinthians. He says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. You don't put treasure in jars of clay. They're insignificant, they're breakable, they chip easy. It's not a place where you keep treasure. But that's the whole point, right? We don't have to act like we have everything together. I don't, but at the same time I know God loves me because I have the Holy Spirit in here in my heart. Your weakness is part of the whole plan, the the plan of redemption. And here's the fifth way Jesus personally pursues us. He gives me purpose. He gives me purpose. Finally, in John 18, he says, truly, truly, uh, sorry, John 21, verse 18, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you to where you did not want to go. And he said this to show what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying uh, this, he said to him, follow me. You see, uh, Peter, uh, by the time John had written this down, would have been killed. He would have been crucified on the cross. And some accounts would say he would have been crucified upside down because he didn't consider himself worthy enough to die in the same way that Jesus did. The point isn't how he died, but how he lived. Peter, from this moment on, faithfully preached the gospel to thousands. He, 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 was, he was the, the leader of the early church. The, the reminder for us is to follow Jesus, pursue him, draw near to him, knowing that Jesus, the faithful friend, all the while is pursuing you. 
That's our purpose. Our purpose that in all things, life or death, that we'd glorify God. Not just that, in a deep personal relationship, we would enjoy Jesus forever. And so if that's you, you're, you're like, that's great for Peter. I, I want that. I have a little bit of affection for Jesus, but I need that to be stoked. How do we get there? Here's three ways to engage with Jesus in a personal way. Number one is this, carve out time. Carve out time. Any relationship demands time. Get in the word. I don't know how many times I look back on my life where I felt most distant. I asked myself, am I in the word consistently? And the answer every single time is no, I'm not. Carve out time. And there's no shame there if you're not in the word. Don't miss the whole point of Peter's story. Today is a great day to start. If you don't know how to start, come and talk to someone up front. We'd love to talk to you about that. Carve out time, get in the word. Here's the second way to engage with Jesus in a personal way, and it's this, radical honesty. Radical honesty, first before God. You know, you and I can just be real before God. That's an awesome thing as imperfect people. We can just be real with him. Like David in the Psalms, he was all over the place. And I love that on one page, he was like, God, you're so near to me. You're so awesome. And then at the very next page, he's like, God, you're so distant. Why do you hide your face from me? He was a mess all over the place, but he came before God with it. He was a man after God's own heart. Maybe pray like Peter, if you don't know how, it's this, Lord, you know everything. You, you know all of it. You know all my mistakes, all of my failures, all the distance. I want you lean into it. Peter did. Look what Jesus did in response. He drew near to him. And the third way to engage with Jesus in a personal way is this. Number three, partner with others. Partner with others. You see, to John, it was obvious when he was on the shore, he, he knew, nets tightened, this is Jesus, he's here. But Peter was stuck in the storm, just like Cal had talked about a couple weeks ago. He didn't recognize him. And so John had to call him out of it in the midst of the struggle. We, we may not see Jesus clearly in the midst of our struggle. And so we need faithful friends, brothers and sisters to, to get our eyes off of our circumstances on to Christ. You and I are hardwired for this type of community. And a lot of this happens in small group. I'd encourage you, get involved, get with people who can love you well and help you if you feel distant. But then to end with this, uh, in Hebrews 11, it says, and without faith, it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. That's the solution. If you don't know Jesus, if you never have felt close to him, if you've never drew near to him in faith because of Jesus Christ and his death on the cross, no matter your failures, you can lean in trusting that God will meet you there. He rewards just the smallest of affection for him. I can have a deep personal relationship with Jesus because he pursues me, right? So what's the uh, question walking out of here? It's this, what's keeping you from pursuing Jesus? Knowing that in perfect faithfulness, in mercy, in love, he's been pursuing you all the while.
Let's pray. God, I thank you for your perfect mercy. God, your grace, your timing doesn't seem perfect to us, God, but we trust you. You will always come through because you are the faithful one, the faithful friend. God, thank you for the ways that you've chased us down. Uh, there's no uh, time where I've, where I've sinned enough, where, I, where I've out-sinned the cross of Jesus Christ. God, you're enough for me. You're enough for us. God, open our eyes to your word. Open our eyes. Help us to humble ourselves before you. God, that we would draw near. If there's distance there, God, uh, keep us humble. And God, would you meet us in just the smallest of affection? Would you grow that? so that you get the glory and so that we benefit. We pray this all in your son's name, amen.